Well, good evening, everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. And I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar, Evening of Solutions for a New Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. Our purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to promote their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do this without your help. And if this is your first time watching, welcome. And I hope you find this information engaging and wanting to find out more. And if you're a regular APP webinar viewer, thanks for your support. We couldn't do this without you. APP is membership driven with a goal of a million plus members to help steer the political process. APP memberships are one year for $20 two years for $30, three years for $40, and you can find out more at albertaprosperityproject.com. So tonight's webinar is entitled Alberta Policing, an Open Discussion. And uh, we have a great panel of speakers with us. Uh, and this is a live webinar. Uh, it's 7.03 here in, in Alberta right now. And uh, we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout this presentation. And you can do that in your comments by putting in uh, three question marks in a row, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And then that way it flags us that uh, you're basically looking to ask a question. So we have, I've got big bios here, people. I do. These, these guys are absolutely amazing. Uh, we're going to start with Daryl Witcher. He is uh, a retired RCMP. He's born and raised in Calgary. Uh, he held a Queen's Commission in the Armed Forces Re uh, Reserve prior to joining the RCMP. He joined the RCMP in 1975 and retired in 1999. Uh, after retirement, spent some time operating a safety business for a number of years, teaching first aid, CPR, and other courses. And over a period of 28 years, trained and earned a sixth-degree black belt and is a master in Taekwondo, operated and oversaw schools in Innisfail, Olds, and Penhold. And he has earned a sports nutrition diploma and is a personal trainer as well. And he's living in Olds. So... Thank you very much for joining us, Daryl. Uh, and I might as well just ramble on uh, about the other ones too. So, yeah, of course, Daryl uh, or Daniel uh, Bulford, uh, also known as Dan, was born and raised in Saskatchewan, uh, or born in Saskatchewan, raised in northern Alberta. And he grew up on a small farm six miles north of a small community of Bezanson. Does that sound right, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's correct. In yeah, the county sure. of Grand Prairie, Alberta, and I understand you're actually moving back to uh, Grand Prairie. So uh, welcome back to Alberta. I'm there uh, now. Thank you. There you are. Awesome. Daniel followed the family tradition and became a police officer with a Royal, uh, with a RCMP uh, in August of 2006. He joined the ranks of his father and two older brothers as members of the force, along with his older sister, uh, another longtime employee of the RCMP. After graduating the depot training academy in Regina, Saskatchewan, Daniel was posted to uh, Whitehorse, Yukon. Daniel spent uh, four years working on Whitehorse Detachment and was transferred to Mayo Detachment in December 2010. Daniel spent two and a half more years as a general duty police officer in the community of Mayo before transferring to Ottawa. And in July 2013, Daniel was transferred to the RCMP National Division Emergency Response Team in Ottawa. And during this time in the National Division ERT, Daniel's primary role was a sniper observer with the majority of his time spent supporting the protection of the prime minister and other intentionally protected persons. 
Daniel officially resigned from the RCMP on December 15th, 2021, after speaking out on behalf of the Mounties for Freedom against mandated, mandated COVID-19 injections. Mounties for Freedom is a dedicated group of regular members of the RCMP publicly opposed to coercive mandates and discrimination against Canadians exercising their fundamental right to bodily autonomy. Whew, how was that, Danny? Was that, uh, that, that was pretty good? Yeah, that was good. Thank you. And now we've got, last but not least, of course, we've got uh, Mr. Brian Dennison. Uh, Brian was one of the 24 new recruits selected from over 3,000 applicants to join the Calgary Police Service, otherwise known as CPS, in December 1997. This was his lifelong dream, which he achieved in a very competitive environment during the 90s. After graduating from police training, Brian was posted to District 3 in Northwest Calgary, my, my district, where he gained valuable frontline police training from very experienced officers. He spent four additional years working the streets of the very busy District 4. During his time on street, he also took to the role of officer coach for new recruits. Brian also was relied upon to perform the duties of acting street team sergeant as needed by this service throughout many years of his career. Brian applied for it and was accepted as the hate crimes coordinator with the CPS and spent three years in this position. He was able to infiltrate a national skinhead neo-Nazi hate group Wow, with an online presence, which was at its height in 2009-2012. He assisted in a high-profile murder investigation involving members of the same group. Brian was also a member of the Alberta Hate Crimes Committee. During his years as the hate crimes coordinator, he continued in his education attending hate crimes conferences in Calgary, Ontario, and Saskatchewan. In June 2012, Brian transferred to become a member of the Downtown Beat team where he primarily worked with the homeless population and took calls for service in District 1 in the Downtown Core. March of 2021, Brian returned to frontline policing in District 6, taking calls for service on the street. When the CPS implemented their discriminatory COVID-19 policy, he was unable to follow their unlawful and unethical COVID-19 mandates. Brian was openly vocal against these mandates and was suspended and charged with dis discreditable conduct and insubordination for upholding his oath of officer of, of office as a police officer. This action ended his career, resigning on December 18th, 2021, after 24 years of service. So, wow, what a panel. You guys uh, obviously have, well, I can't even count how many years in total, like, Definitely older than me. I'm going to say you probably have 70 or 80 years in uh, in uh, in, uh, in practice. So you guys should know everything at all about policing because I know nothing. And I'm sure pretty much the people that are, are watching are going to be asking questions too. Um, so I'll, from my point of view, and again, this is just an open discussion because it's an APP uh, webinar. What we basically want to do is we want to find out what would an Alberta police force look like eventually, right? So there's certain things that we need to go through. And my, I've actually been a pretty good, pretty good lad. I think I haven't really been in any trouble with police uh, yet. And, um, and, and it's growing up, you know, uh, we were taught that if you're going to be uh, respectful, um, good, uh, responsible law-abiding citizens, you must respect what your police officer says, what the law says, et cetera, et cetera. 
And, uh, and again, the only thing that I really remember growing up with uh, police officers was we used to have constables come to schools and, uh, and kind of educate us on uh, uh, what was happening in the community, that sort of thing. And now I think in schools, the only thing that they do in schools is have police officers there to enforce laws. Now, I could be wrong with that, but uh, that certainly seems to be the way it is. So it's gone from this high hi, we're, we're benefiting the community to now we're, uh, we're, just, we're just there to uphold the laws. So there's a wide range that we could be talking about during this, uh, this uh, webinar. And so I'm just going to kind of throw it out there, just talking about um, what, what do you think has happened over the last few years in terms of, our, uh, of how how the public response and perception is of either the local police officers being say CPS for me or R or RCMP. What, what, uh, what perception does the, uh, does the layman out there in Canada have? And, uh, and, and is there any way that we can probably fix that? Let's start with Danny. <laughs> You're in square number one. So let's, uh, let's start with Danny. Okay. Um, well, a lot has changed from yes. my own perspective about policing in Canada, especially yeah. this last two to three years. You know, I think there was a real push. Uh, summer of 2020 with the defund the police movement. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely an element of society that doesn't think that the police are trustworthy yeah and they would rather you know either abolish or at least uh, scale them down to quite a degree um i certainly didn't agree with that obviously i mean maybe biased because of my family's background in policing mm -hmm. but i mean I've, I've seen what i we we've all experienced firsthand like how bad things can get if you don't have anyone to answer the call to come intervene when situations are dangerous. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem that I see now is that the people who probably were the most vocal supporters of law enforcement during that time frame are now struggling with trust in the police mm -hmm. post COVID enforcement and the convoy dismantle. Yeah. And so now you know, I think the people who would have said who would have beat the drum the loudest of like back the blue prior when the defund the police movement was at its peak yeah. are probably now also they're not saying defund the police. But I know I hear it on a regular basis that people just don't know who to turn to anymore because they don't trust <clears throat> either. They don't either. They have a mistrust of the police post COVID enforcement and convoy yeah. or they just don't have any faith that an institution like the RCMP, for example, is going to take them seriously when they're trying to, when they're trying to report and if, uh, when they want to make a, a, a report about an offense that they believe has been committed, mm -hmm. you know, regarding COVID mandates specifically. Yeah. And, you know, I think couple that on top of the fact that we've seen a lot of, with, especially with the RCMP, I'll speak to with uh, the commissioner, the current commissioner, you know, she's, she's wrapped up in a number of scandals. It has been reported widely in the media that she is, 
you know, suspected of politically interfering with serious investigations on behalf of the current government. The RCMP didn't feel that it was in the public interest to pursue criminal investigation against the current prime minister. Yeah. I think a lot of people are left with the feeling that either they can't trust the police because of the defund the police movement ideology, or now they feel like the police aren't going to uphold and enforce the law equally across the plane. Right. Yeah. And then of course, I'll just add on to the fact that, you know, as police officers, we all know that people like Tamara Leach, she is, it's a political prosecution, right? Yeah. No, at no time in my career have I ever seen anyone arrested, detained, rearrested on a Canada wide for a simple breach and then transported to Ottawa and detained for another length, a significant length of time for alleged offenses that are so minimal in nature, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, the, the violent offenders that just seem to get the revolving door treatment. And so I think people's faith in the, in the legal system in general, like the police, the courts, all of it, is that there seems to be different rules for different people. And I guess that, that's about as best as I can summarize what I think the current temperature is in regards to policing yep. in Canada. And I was going to bring that all up is that it's not just one issue. It seems to be uh, the, uh, the definitely the, what's happening in the courts. And, um, and I'm not quite sure, you know, again, this is kind of just a fluid topic. So we can, we can pull it back and, and discuss however we want. But, you know, uh, with what's happening with uh, the boys in, um, in, in Coots and, uh, you know, how that was done through the RCMP. And uh, I know there's been some, uh, some talk um, trying to get the Alberta Premier to somehow step in and, and maybe take some action no, she's already publicly said, well, she can't do that. So it's not that part is not just a, 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 a police uh, or a, it's not just a. Um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? There? It's not just really just a, a police issue or it's not just a federal issue. There's a lot of things that are taking place in that. Right. So um, but w- but with when when we're talking about things like uh, people getting arrested. Um, I think one of the questions that I get asked quite often is uh, like, who actually comes up with that? Like, is it, is it really just up to the officers to go in or like, what's the process? Like if, if somebody was, uh, was, was wanting to arrest pastor art, what is the process in, in doing that? Does anybody know that? Well, I think with pastor art, I think um, because it was a high profile arrest for him all of them yeah. were um yeah. and he's well he's well known to to the, the calgary city police officers um yeah. so everyone knew who he was that would be orchestrated from up the ladder that would not just be the officers that you saw on camera arresting him that would have yeah. been from up the ladder yeah. um so it would have been dictated down to the ranks uh to go there and arrest someone like that and i would assume that it's probably very much the same for any of the freedom fighters that were arrested, including um, the people in in Coots and and in Ottawa as well, um, is that it would be an order that came down from incident commander or somebody up that high uh, that's wanting wanting that person arrested, I would think. Yeah. And really, again, being 
not really knowing the, the, the process, if you're given orders to do something, you cannot say no. No, no that's that's Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can? Daryl, you can? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, you can. Yeah. And, and here's yeah, one thing I just wanted to add to that. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Daryl. I just wanted to add one quick thing is um, anybody up the ladder can tell me or order me to, to go arrest somebody, but I yeah. have to satisfy myself that this person is arrestable. So okay. it's me that's arresting somebody. It's yeah. not the inspector uh, who has told me to go and do it. It's actually me, Brian Dennison, that would be arresting this person. I have yeah. to satisfy myself that, um, that, that is, he should be arrested and that what he's being arrested for is legal. And if I don't believe that is, is um, the case, I can say, no, I will not do it. And he can find somebody else or he can go do it himself. This, this wow. As as <laughs> See, I didn't know that. And, I, and probably a lot of people don't realize that. You, I, I believe that uh, the typical rule is that if if you believe it is an unethical or unlawful order, you're obligated to refuse it. Okay. So like Brian said, you can take direction to go arrest someone, you know, whether it be from another officer or another a supervisor or even a warrant. Right. Yeah. But in each case, you have to satisfy yourself, like Brian said, that grounds do exist to make a lawful arrest before you do it. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that is, that's actually quite shocking, I guess, because now, now that kind of puts a different spin on a lot of the conversation we could have in terms of, so who were the arresting officers for such and such person? And did they actually think that uh, they, they should be willfully arrested at that time? Um, You know, prominent uh, figures like Tamara Leach, like, how would that have worked out in Ottawa? Well, I, I don't know for certain. I don't yeah. have all the disclosure, but yeah. I suspect that there was, um, you know, you had the incident command team who's probably dealing with the event itself. And then you have the investigative team. And as soon as the investigative team deemed that they had reasonable and probable grounds to yeah. make an arrest. Yeah then that information would have been they either probably would have sought an arrest warrant, but that's not necessarily, that's not necessary in the, for an offense that's either dual procedure or indictable. Yeah. And so they could just direct patrol officers to make an arrest. If, if this person is seen, if they believe and communicate that the grounds for a lawful arrest are there. Okay. And of course you guys go all through your, your, we'll call it schooling in order to, to be able to make these sorts of decisions, um, probably on the fly, really, I'm thinking, right? And so if, if you're given that and you say no, and you keep saying no over and over over again, like, what happens to you then? Well, I think it would be a little more diplomatic than me just saying You could no. lose your job. Yeah. Yeah, you could lose your job. I'd probably be asking them to show me all their grounds for arresting this person if I didn't yeah. believe that they should be arrested, uh, yeah. as opposed to just outright saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And yeah, if I don't have have my um, ducks in a row, I could get myself into a lot of hot water by, by not actually following an order, yeah. a lawful order. But um, again, uh, they have to satisfy you 
because you're the arresting officer, you will be dragged into court and asked to explain why you arrested this person. Okay, okay, then that, that makes sense. Because again, there's like there's been so much that has happened over uh, over the course of well COVID, with uh, with tickets being issued, uh, with people being arrested, people being put in front of court, and uh, I do find it interesting that the uh, the officers that would I'm assuming even be issuing tickets would have to be fully into that, saying yes, they these people should be getting a ticket in order for them to go into court actually talk about it well, you would you would hope so i got a ticket for honking yes and it was interesting because um i won't mention any names but this fellow said he didn't know me but i knew him he yeah. gave me a ticket anyway and then his sergeant goes oh that was brian dennison well you know how, why did you give him a ticket sort of idea and i'm thinking okay well that's a little interesting well, yeah. they gave me a ticket because they were ordered. Everybody that's honking is going to get a ticket. Oh, yes. Right? Okay. So yeah. they can't pick and, and choose. And off they went with their little injunction and started handing out all these tickets for honking. Well, good grief. <clears throat> you know, as a police officer, there wouldn't have been, there, there would be no ticket for me for any of that garbage. Yeah. I would have refused to do that. Wow. Well, then you're the good ones. Well, then you got to look at it. It's political it's, it's all political, political. yeah 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 it's 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 all been run by politics and yeah. the upper echelon in any police department is going to be controlled somewhat by the governing body yeah and if it comes down from the premier's office sends it to the commissioner of the RCMP says your People will do this, send out a directive. Well, guess what? It all rolls downhill to the poor member yeah. that is at the bottom making the arrest or doing whatever they they have to do. And, and they have to do it in good conscience. Mm -hmm. But if they've just been inundated with one way and one set of information, then a lot of well, okay, these guys, they're a lot smarter than I am. They're senior officers, so I'll just go and do it. And they yeah. may not get a whole grasp of what's going on. It's it's difficult to say for the actual, we can look back at it now and say, we should have done it this way or they should have done it that way. But the poor yeah. street policeman, they get said, okay, you three, you're going to go out and you're going to do this. You're going to arrest this person irregardless because they, they've done this wrong, they've done that wrong, they're horrible, they're bad, whatever. Yeah. So the, the member just goes out and does it. Yeah. And that's not definitely not good, but you've also got to cut them a little bit of slack too, because they may not be getting the full picture, which we yeah. can see now because it's after the fact. Yeah. There's definitely political interference within our police agencies, I would say. And just speaking of Calgary police service and uh, um, the chief that's there, um, is directed by our police commission. And the police commission, there's two people that sit on it, or there were two people that sat on it that were totally against the police. One of them happened to be a Black Lives Matter activist before he became a council member. And he's sitting on the police commission. So, you know, they're directing the chief what to do. Um, 
And I, I don't have much credence to, to, to put into the chief of the Calgary Police Service either because he's buying into all that stuff and allowing that type of political interference uh, to dictate his job and what he yeah. tells his men to do. So I've lost total respect for him. And I just want to touch on something that Danny had said just in the opening there is that about what people's per, um, the way that they see the police officers nowadays. And it, it comes back to kind of what I was just talking about there. It starts at the top and the top mm -hmm. is the police chiefs, the commissioners and all those people um, that are actually running the police agencies. And most of those guys up there haven't been a police officers for 10, 15 years. And they've, they've lost sight of what it is to be a frontline police officer. So um, they're telling their people to do stuff that um, wouldn't be what a normal police officer would be doing in the way they think and the way they operate and, and the way they do things on the street. But um, the people that I've talked to since all of this um, has come down with the vaccines and, and all the Freedom Convoy and all that stuff is Danny talked about the people that used to put the, the blue lights on, especially in Calgary. They changed all the outside lights of their homes to blue to support yep. and back the blue. Those people have come up to me and going, I will never do that again. They were the biggest supporters of the police. And that happened to be the people who wanted their freedom. And then the yep. police came down heavy and hard on all those people. Not, um, I think, thinking that these are our supporters, but they were politically influenced to do that. But they were politically influenced against their biggest supporters. And now that support is gone. And to bring those people back, it's going to be it's going to be a really tough road to, to go down. And again, I'll come back to it. It starts at the top. You need to have some really key people at the top that really know uh, what it's like to be a policeman and what it's like to police citizens of Canada, not act as a government agent, but police people of Canada. And that's who you're working for. You're not working for the government. And so I've, I've seen a big demise in the way people see police and even the way police hire nowadays, they hire who they can get. They don't necessarily hire who's the best. And that's why I put that in my bio. I actually okay. wrote my test in the UFC with over 3000 people in two days for 24 positions. Nowadays, you know, if you can write your name and you can do a little bit of an essay, they've lowered their standards so low and there's not that great of applicants anymore. So what do you get coming out the other end? You don't get the same caliper of people uh, that they once could have. So sorry, I got off on a little tangent there. Do you think that- If I can speak to that, Kerry, just for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, in the RCMP right now, you don't have to have a personal interview to be hired by the RCMP. To flip burgers at Dairy Queen, you got to talk to the manager. Three times usually. Yeah. yeah. And not, not in the amount of police now. You don't have to have a personal interview. Yeah. Uh, if you have a degree of any kind, it doesn't matter if it's in police studies or uh, basket weaving. Oh, you're, that's, that's, that's a big, big plus. And, you know, it, it's just watered down so badly now. They, they, they say, well, we have 
X number of this type we want to get. We've got a, this number. Yeah. So we want to be politically correct with all our hiring practices yeah. and all that. But to go back, and I'm going to, because I go back a long ways. And what policemen and policewomen have to do, park your darn car on Main Street, get out and walk. Yeah. Knock on doors, go into businesses, ask them, how are you? What, what, what's, do you have any problems? What's going on? Hey, my name, my name's Daryl Witcher. I just uh, got transferred here. Uh, you know, you're an insurance company. Who do you represent? Like, what do you do? And you get to know the people. And that's what pe the police don't do anymore. I can tell you for a fact in the town I live in, I don't see the members unless I have a direct contact with them with my, I don't see them walking the streets. I don't see them patrolling the school zones. I don't see them doing what policemen used to do years yeah. ago to get to know the communities and to be involved with the communities. You don't do your eight hours and go home. You do yeah. eight hours, you go home, you have supper, and then you go out and you teach Taekwondo to 50 or 60 people, or you mm -hmm. coach hockey or, you know, play badminton. You know, it doesn't matter. But the policemen these days, men and women, doesn't matter. They just aren't involved in the communities. And I think, Brian, you, you can probably agree with that from being a street hoof for yourself. Well, I, I, that's why I ended my career was on the street. And I'll tell you that that's another problem is that they expect the street guy to do more with way less. And the streets, yeah. um, for instance, my team should have been 16 people, we had nine. So so you have you have nine people, three call in sick, what do you have? You have six. So all yeah. of a sudden, you got six people working from four o'clock in the morning till seven when a lot of bad crap happens. And you're just, you're, you're, you know, this side of the district to that side of the district, you're back and forth. Um, so they expect you to do so much with so little yeah. And that's what I mean by the hierarchy, the chiefs and all those executive guys above us are so out of touch. Yeah. And I'll give you, for instance, uh, my chief sat in my parade before I started shift. This is before he wanted me to go because I was so egregious. Um, he, he, said, he was sitting in there asking what they can do better. I said, well, you and your whole executive team should come out for a whole round of shifts. That's day shift, night shift, all of them, and do everything you ask us to do, do all the reports, meet all the people, do all that kind of stuff. What did he end up doing? After I was let go, he came out, he rode along with my sergeant, showed up late, left early, did nothing. You don't know what's happening on the street. They no. have totally lost touch, but they don't see that the poor policemen that are running ragged, trying to do the job, don't have time to do anything. And I remember going, call to call to call to call to call all night in jail or the hospital. You don't get to eat whatever you can stuff in your face from your car as you're doing something. That's what you eat. That's what you drink. And you're stuffing coffee down you just to make it through the night. And then your, your backup shows up to take over for you in the morning and they're a depleted shift as well. So yeah. that's the problem is that they can't find enough good applicants and the people that do get hired just want to move on from the street. 
The street yeah. isn't the place to be. Specialty units are the place to be. Yeah. And we need to make it attractive for the street cop to be a street cop. That's what I signed up to do. That's what I finished doing. And I, I'm glad I did. I loved it. It was hard on a 58-year-old guy to do it. But I humped it out and, and I did my career. And that's what I wanted to do. But there needs to be more of those people that want to do that job that stays there. So the incentive needs to be there instead of, well, we'll give you a little bit more. You can move on to this position or this position. Or you can yeah. be the rubbers in CPS always float to the surface. If that makes any sense to you, a rubber band floats. All the rubbers float up the ladder and they become your bosses. So all the people that weren't good policemen go up the ranks, it seems. Um, yeah. Or all the people that got into trouble uh, or got charged with something seem to move up the ladder. So there needs to be a new way of looking at who your boss is and who actually fits that bill of being um, above reproach to actually be a police chief, a superintendent, a sergeant. It shouldn't be the rubbers that are leading the pack. It should yeah. be these, these really sound policemen that know exactly what to do and exactly what they're asking their men to do. You don't lead from behind, you lead from the front. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's well, very exactly. interesting. You happen to bring up, um, you know, it's, it, it seems the services so we've actually had uh, an EMT that we've interviewed and uh, a, a fireman uh, of sorts. We've had doctors. Now we have police. And they all seem to have the same, you know, what we're overworked and uh, we're, we don't have enough people. And yet the way I, you know, kind of how I started this, this discussion today was growing up and, uh, and we looked up to uh, police officers. We looked up to firemen. We looked up to doctors. It's almost like we're almost telling our kids, you know what, don't get in those positions, get something else. And now all of a sudden we don't have people, good people, filling in to become a police officer, to become a good doctor. Um, and I, and maybe it's, maybe it's not just a simple quick fix. Maybe it's it's a cultural and uh, societal way of, uh, of of issues that we're running into, and and so we're not going to work right away. We're not going to solve this this issue on this webinar, but it is something that uh, that we should uh, you know kind of kind of have in the back of our minds as to what we want to do. Danny, you uh... yeah, I think uh, policing is suffering the same fate as all the other institutions, including yeah. healthcare, including the military, yeah. where. Like Brian said, the people who promote are the people who want to write and talk about how amazing they are. Yeah. And they're not so excited about doing the, the, the hard work, doing a good job. Yeah. And then, and the, so I think the, we're in a crisis of leadership, right? Like, like Daryl and Brian have both alluded to, it starts at the top, right? If you don't have strong leadership that is honest with the membership, and with the government about what the force can and cannot do. And they just want to play this yes game or yes man game, go along to get along to keep the political masters happy. Everything starts to implode from there. And we're promoting people based on everything outside of competence. Right. And so, and I think that's a societal problem in general, people are afraid to tell the truth 
and people are afraid to say, you know what, maybe you're not the best candidate for the job. If it doesn't suit the, like the, the woke ideology narrative, you know what I mean? And I've worked with amazing police officers of every race and any gender. That's not the issue. There's competent people. You can find competent people, but that can't be the only reason why someone gets promoted or someone, why someone works up the ladder. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, we have a promotion process in the RCMP anyway, where it's all about writing about how amazing you are. I've done it. It's gross. It feels, it's, it's, it's not an enjoyable process. Like you feel like when you're a real team player, you feel bad because it's all about writing about how great you are. Wow. Whereas, you know, I, I think it w- it could be as simple as like, you know, people apply yeah. and then the applicants, you know, they they, you have something that you could do like a 360 feedback on that applicant, right? You talk to their boss, you talk to their uh, people at the same rank that they work with and you talk to their, the people they supervise and to find out like what kind of person are they are. Because if you talk to everybody, you know, if you just talk to the boss, you might get, Oh, he's amazing because he's a total yes man. Yeah. Whereas if you talk to another NCO, that's not the same rank, you might hear, yeah, he's okay. But you know, he, he's not a real firecracker. And then you might talk to the people that he supervises and they're just like, he's terrible. I, I don't, I can't wait to get away from him. All he ever does is just like, he's super indecisive. He's afraid of his own shadow. He won't, he, he won't make a decision when we really need it. Like he's a disaster of a, of a police officer. Yeah. Well, then you have an idea like, Oh, maybe this person shouldn't be the Sergeant on this unit. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I could go on and get into oh, a big no. rant, but I think the, the, the only fix is strong leadership and then a real honest effort to recruit and yeah. retain high quality people. Yeah. And like, like Brian had said, people are super burned out because they don't have enough people to do the job and they just keep getting asked to do more and more with less. And so you need to invest in those people. You need to get high quality people. You need to equip them really well. You need to don't be afraid to spend money on high quality equipment and high quality training. And that, that if you do those things, you will have a very professional police force. And then if you can't recruit enough high quality police officer candidates, yeah. Well, then maybe you need to focus on, well, maybe we can hire more administrative staff to alleviate the admin workload from those officers. So yeah, those officers sense. can spend more time doing operational police officers on the street. Because, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot harder to recruit and retain, train and retain a high quality police officer than it is to find someone who is really good at administrative work. Right. And it's, it's a totally different skill set, right? Like, and you can take, I've given this example before you got six months to take someone who's a civilian with zero experience in policing or military or anything. Yeah. You know, they've maybe never even held a sidearm before. And you got to teach that person in six months time to drive for their life and someone else's to fight for their life and someone else's. And to possibly win a gunfight on the very first shift of yeah. their career. Yeah. And so you need to just cut through the fluff and focus on training them in the, the core operational skills and knowledge necessary to be a good, solid frontline cop. 
yeah. and then everything else can be developed from there. Yeah. That would, that, those would be the, some of the biggest priorities for me if I was like a new chief of a police force. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you should. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm blackballed from policing in Canada. <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of Canada, <laughs> so maybe one of the ways that we can uh, kind of steer this direction is, uh, you know, kind of how we opened it up and saying, what would an Alberta police force look like? Right. And because we're, we're used to doing things in a certain way. And you, you were just uh, giving the analogy of, you know, you, you have a police officer, you have to train them, you have to do that. Maybe we get an admin person in there uh, in order to, to, to help them out. Well, obviously you can't do that and have an admin person and also give them managerial skills in order to actually learn how to, uh, to, to coordinate uh, um, groups of officers as an example. So do you end up uh, parachuting someone in to do that sort of thing? Like if you, if you had to start with a brand new province or a brand new uh, a whole um, uh, way of de dealing with police, what would you start with? Like, how would you do that? So we've already heard Danny saying about uh, how you would get officers in. Daryl, do you want to maybe make a comment on that? Yeah, it's, I worked with recruiting for a number of years and, I got to tell you, it was horrible. Yeah. What the RCMP was recruiting and how they were recruiting was terrible. Mm. Uh, I think you don't try and reinvent the wheel. Okay. We already know that there's a great provincial police force in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And Danny and I have talked about this. And don't try and, I don't know how a provincial police force works, parachute somebody in. Yeah. Somebody that really knows that's a, oh, I'm sorry, just a cop that uh, went through the ranks and, you know, he's been in the mud, the blood and the beer and, and knows administration. Okay. You pay him a good wage and say, come on in, let's, let's sit down and write out what we need. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's the way to start. And, and then you have some other experienced people come in and, and assist, but recruiting is, is the biggest thing. All I ever wanted to do was put bad guys in jail. Mm -hmm. Since I was about seven years old, I wanted to be a Maori. Yeah. Luckily, I fulfilled my lifelong dream. I was a Maori. Okay, great. Did I want to do other things? I waited till I retired to do it. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of guys that have the opportunity, like I'd have given my eye teeth to taking the training Danny had. To be able to shoot the wings off a fly at a thousand yards, that would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> but work in detachment yeah. and freeway patrol or highway or whatever, you know, yeah. you were busy trying to hone your skills on that. You know, just the way Danny had to hone his skills into what he uh, was an expert in, as well as Brian, the, the, the units that he worked with. So, mm -hmm. okay, let's... Let's, uh, you know, suck some information out of these guys. Let's get them on the, you know, maybe the hiring board or the, you know, a, a committee to, you know, okay, what do you think we need? And then go from there. But you start at the top, get somebody in that really knows how to do a provincial police force. Yeah. Don't model it after the RCMP for heaven's sake. Yeah. You know, well, CPS. don't take a broken model and try and fix it. Yeah. Start new. And I would say that's basically the way I look at it. Sorry. 
Yeah, I would say I've, I've been very fortunate with my previous career and that I did get to work with, I got to work with multiple police forces, you know, municipal, plenty of Mounties from all across Canada, uh, OPP, NQ, and uh, Quebec Provincial Police, the Sûreté de Québec. Yeah. And consistently, I was the most impressed with the OPP. I mean, they're not perfect. They have issues like every service does. Yeah. But I've mm -hmm. always been really impressed, like whether it's their surveillance teams, their investigative team, yeah. their tactical unit was is world class. You know, yeah. they uh, they're a legit police force. Yeah. And they just so happen to give me a little bit of faith that there's still some really solid police out there in Canada with uh, the testimony that they gave at the public order uh, yeah. emergency commission, yeah. because they were very, very frank, very fair and very factual. Yeah. And I, so I, I think that like, like exactly what Daryl said, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, like go to them. They are probably the, the leading expert in, in, a large province police force, especially one that would be very similar to Alberta, as far as like, you know, a lot of rural, rural community yeah. policing, because yeah. right. the big cities are going to keep their services. Right. Yeah. Um, I think they, they would probably be the best example to follow in Canada that I can think of. How does it work in Ontario? Do they also have RCMP as well as the OPP or? Yes, but only for federal and protective policing. Okay. Okay. Or integrated units also. So in theory, if we if we wanted to start our own police force, we should be able to do that now. Right? We don't have yeah. to wait for any any vote or anything like that. If if there was enough people out there saying, you know what, I like the idea of uh, of having a group um, look after my area that I live in. If I live in Grand Prairie and you know They've got their own police force, I'm assuming, as most most uh, cities seem to do. Nope. They're RC, I think, aren't they? Yeah. Grand Prairie's RCMP, but they're, oh, they're yeah. in talks right now. The city okay. is talking about moving to a muni police force. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And then there, then if, if that's the case, then, um, then maybe they wouldn't necessarily need a pr provincial police force, right? Well, well I here's think you you could easily start one here in Alberta. I think the appetite is there. You have to have the premier has to be on board. Yeah. Um, you know, she has. Danielle, to, are you on board? Danielle, Danielle. Okay. I hope so. I had a little chat with her myself. Um, yeah. But you know, and then and then start hiring um, or start looking for key people to yeah. to to come on board and to navigate through the um, starting up of that, and then you will attract from all police agencies across Canada, hopefully the cream of the crop. Yeah. Especially if you're starting a police agency and the way it's supposed to be run is run that way, there will be yeah. policemen jumping ship to come and work for them. Um, I know I would have, if, if yeah. I had a better place to go than, than um, where I was in the end, I would have, I would have jumped on ship no problem. I'm an old guy, so they, they probably wouldn't have hired this old guy. But, you know, there's um, there's a lot of experience out there. And I know a yeah. lot of policemen. I know a lot of IT people that worked for CPS. And yeah. these are cream of the crop. These are people that you would want to work for you. And yeah. that, that would lead that police agency um, onward. And it would be, it would be, as Danny said about the OPP, um, they would be like a world-class policing 
and they would be somebody that could model for the rest of them. Yeah. So what would it take? Yeah, to you, you have to have the equipment. Yeah. And the money. You have to offer a good dollar because these days, you know, you can't say, well, you're going to work your way up to making a mediocre wage. No. If you fit the bill, if we want to hire you, we want to pay you. We want to give you the best equipment, not what we borrowed from somebody else or bought secondhand. We mm-hmm. want to give them the top equipment. Then you're going to get all of these people that are used to working that way with yep. good stuff. They're going to say, yep. hey, they're offering an excellent funds, plus they get to work in Alberta. Mm-hmm. So, sure, lots yeah. of people are going to come here. Yeah. Absolutely. And an, and an incentive for them to actually work the street. Actually, yeah. not you, you, don't want, you don't want too many people up the ladder. You don't want too many, um, su- uh, not support staff, but you don't want too many um, leaders. You want to yeah. have more, more worker bees. You want to have more policemen on the street because yeah. that's where most police agencies yeah. are lacking. And their poor police burnout and the people with PTSD and the people on stress leave, you know, it's just because they, they expect you to do so much with so little. And yeah. that can be easily changed. Exactly. It could easily be changed with leadership on, and how, how you attract the right people and hire the right people. So how, how exactly. much would this cost? <laughs> I know you guys aren't uh, the financial... Uh, awareness gurus of knowing exactly how much it would cost to actually run a uh, police force. But I'm thinking, and, and this is just off the top of my head, we, sp- we send a lot of money from Alberta to Ottawa, who then divvy it up into the RCMP. If we said, you know what, we're going to start our own Alberta police force. That's a terrible name, APF. I don't like that. But... Sir, APS, start yeah. up with that. And then you guys can transition out your RCMP from being out, you're getting out of Alberta. That seems to me like then we basically have the money here anyways. Aren't we paying a if lot the of RCMP, the bills for the RCMP now? Yeah. Right? Like if the yeah. RCMP well, is... Well, Kerry, the easiest way to get a budget is say, give us the same that you're giving CBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guarantee it'll be a better investment. Well, no, and the problem is, <laughs> I don't know exactly what the money is that's going to the CBC. We think we do, but I'll bet you there's so yeah, many. It's other a secret. Things. That's oh, another yeah. topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Policing the CBC. But if, but like as an example, if it was say you know, two billion dollars is basically to run a police force in a in a province, and again, I'm just making that number up. I have no idea if that's a good number or a bad number. If that money was originally going to go to Ottawa, we would just just withhold that and we run our own police force. Essentially, yes. Yeah, I don't think there would be yeah. that big a deal to do that. Yes, but also you have to realize too. Okay, if I write a ticket yeah. on the freeway, yeah, that's going strict. All that money is going to go to the coffers in 
Edmonton. It's a provincial thing. If I write a ticket in within the the town limits, yeah, because I'm working, you know, uh, I'm RCMP, so a certain amount of money goes to the town, then mm-hmm. certain amount of money goes provincially. Yeah. So if you got a provincial police force. Uh, they can negotiate or the province can say, okay, any ticket written anywhere within the province of Alberta goes to the coffers of the Alberta police service. And then there will be X number of dollars funneled back to municipalities somehow. I mean, I don't know how they want to do it, but yeah. everything is, is split up. But, you know, it, it with when you got the feds coming in and, you know, there's too many pieces of the pie. Let Alberta Provincial Police Force be the whole pie, and yeah. then we can split it up as necessary. And is that typical of how the money gets mm-hmm. divvied up? Like if you if if you wrote up a speeding ticket, I'm driving through Airdrie, and does uh, the municipality of Airdrie get the money from my speeding ticket? A portion, <laughs> because it's because it's uh, written within the the. Uh, town limits of Airdrie or the city limits of Airdrie, they get a portion of it and the rest goes to the province. It's okay. all, that's administrative stuff that I didn't really get into. I just had fun writing the tickets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a traffic I think the ticket all goes, <laughs> the money from ticket revenue all goes to the government. The government dishes out to police agencies as it's not like a, not like five bucks from a traffic ticket goes to no, that's right. for every yeah. It go, yeah. goes to a main coffers and then it gets dished out to the police agencies within Alberta. Yeah. I don't know how they, what figure they figure out, but that's the way it is. Yeah. I know we certainly uh, in Alberta, we, we, you know, we, we like to say more Alberta, less Ottawa. So we don't like giving any money, any more money that we possibly need to, to give to the feds. And, and essentially if we could, uh, you know, uh, work out some sort of an arrangement where the RCMP is less uh, of a factor. I think most people would, would enjoy that. Now, having said that there is a billboard on highway number two, and I think it's by Bowden. I could be wrong, but it's around there. And it actually says something like save the RCMP. So there is a group out there that are worried about yes. using their RCMP. It's job. the RCMP union. Is that what it is? It's <laughs> yeah. the National Police Federation, which is the union representing the RCMP that is um, most likely, I mean, <laughs> I, you, up until just recently, I was still receiving their emails. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You certainly wouldn't, uh, wouldn't expect the RCMP to, to spend money on a billboard unless it was a bit of an issue. In well, terms, yeah, it, the conversation could be that the RCMP would be defunded or removed from Alberta and replaced by something else. I mean that, but that 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 topic has been tossed around. Well, yeah. I mean, my entire career, right? There, Alberta has talked about this multiple times. Yeah. I don't think anyone would be really surprised, especially now. Yeah. Especially, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that Danielle Smith has spoken about openly. Yeah. And I think um, my personal thoughts on this are that even within the RCMP K division or Alberta. Yeah has always been kind of looked to as one of the more advanced and uh, professional divisions of the RCMP. And so I I think as far as RCMP divisions go, I think K division probably is probably the highest functioning. 
um, I, you know, um, it, it is a desirable place to work. And if you come, if you've got service in K division, you have a level of credibility anywhere in the RCMP you might get posted after, especially like if you work in K div and then yeah. get transferred to Ottawa, the people in Ottawa are like, Oh, you work in K div. Like you're a real cop. You know what I mean? Um, so <laughs> I think what you're probably, there's a lot of officers that already exist in Alberta that would probably want to remain and would probably patch over. I think a lot of them would, you know, you might have the odd person that's posted somewhere that they're not real crazy about. They don't like where they're living and working at the time as an RCMP officer, they might pull the shoot and go take an RCMP transfer somewhere else just to get out of that location. But I think a lot of the people that are kind of there, they're established in Alberta with their career and their family, they would probably want to stay. And I think uh, on the budget side, I I don't know a lot about how police bud how much different divisions are budgeted, but I suspect a provincial police force would be more expensive than the RCMP. I don't know how much, you know, because K division they do seem to invest in their people. Like I said, they they're they're pretty well respected within the Mounties. And so I think they probably do invest in their people pretty, you know, a lot more than other RCMP divisions do already. Um, but I do think the, the RCMP is also notorious for, like Brian said, like doing more with less, like as a whole. And so whereas I do think that the OPP probably does have an edge when it comes to like looking out for their members, like, uh, you know, making sure that they have enough resources um, yeah. to try and mitigate the the burnout and yep. the uh, uh, mental health issues that yep. maybe the RCMP isn't quite as good at. Yep. So I think it probably would be more expensive, but K division is already a, a well, a well-funded RCMP division. And so how does that work for, uh, for training? Uh, because my understanding is that there's a training facility in Regina and again, not, not knowing all that much about the RCMP, but it sounds like everybody has to go through Regina and uh, whether, you know, you're working all across Canada and, but is there other, other places to go and train? Like, in other words, would we end up having to create our own training facility and does the OPP have their own training facility? The OPP does our, have their own training facility. Brian. Yeah. yeah. Where did you train, Brian? Calgary? Yeah, Calgary has their own training facility, but I have heard rumors about um, having a provincial police college sort of idea, sort of the same sort of thing as in Ottawa, or sorry, Ontario, um, which would be an easy way of doing all of the um, provincial police in, in Alberta. Um, but I know a lot of the police agencies do train, like Edmonton does their own, uh, I know Camrose and like Tabor and it used to be Lethbridge, like Tabor and Lethbridge used to come up and kind of join Calgary, but I think they're doing their own now. Um, yeah. So there, there was that type of um, coming together for it. But I think most of the big cities want to keep their training um, local. So I, I would figure, and Danny could probably answer this a little bit better, is um, RCMP deal with a lot of rural policing, which is a little bit different than what I dealt with, because I dealt with all city policing. 
So yeah. the way that you police Absolutely. might be a little bit different. Being a cop is a cop, right? You can you can be able to figure that out. But that type of training, I think, might might need to be um, trained into that type of personnel that's going to come and actually work in maybe a four member detachment or go to Grand Prairie and work in a larger city. It, it needs to be um, specialized type of training, I would think. Danny, I don't know. Can you add to that? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, although, you know, it, all RCMP officers go through the same training in Regina at depot. And then, you know, by luck of the draw, you get dumped in, you know, Grand Prairie versus Mayo Yukon, right? Where very different styles of policing. I think it generally, it's probably a good idea to send brand new recruits to the bigger, busier detachments because you learn a lot in a very short amount of time. And then that's skills that you can take to any other smaller detachment where you have to, you're more into, you have to work more independently because you just don't have the, the, the human resources that a bigger detachment would have. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was almost the perfect scenario for me. I went to Whitehorse, which was like a, a 24 hour city policing environment, like, not crazy busy, but busy enough that you were just going, you're chasing the radio, like call to call to call. Mm -hmm. And then that gave me a, what I think was a pretty solid foundation to then go work in a small town like Mayo, where I was on shift by myself all the time. So um, I think you, that, that, that's how I would structure it. I think like I would never send a brand new recruit to an isolated post where they're going to be working by themselves. Like I would always send a brand new recruit to a, a bigger center where they're going to have like a number of people who can directly supervise and coach them along the way until they kind of get build yeah. some policing chops, so to speak. So we've talked a little bit about, yeah. uh, exactly. go ahead there. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, if you're going to have a provincial police force, you're going to train them all in one spot. They're all going to get the same training. They're going to be, they're going to know a heck of a lot more about provincial statutes or the laws of Alberta. Yes. Right. As soon as they come out more than somebody like myself, I, I came out of depot, come to Alberta. I got to learn all my provincial statutes and everything That's else from there. And I, I'm going like a, a one-armed paper hanger to, to try to learn this. And that's so I can do my job properly. I know yeah. the criminal code because that's what they yeah. teach in, in Regina and that. But if they were to have one local, you know, let's say we'll put it in Red Deer because it's central. So you get everybody coming in. And I don't care if you're a 15-year veteran from another police force. You're going to come in because you got to learn provincial statutes. Yeah. You know, you be modified like they had modified troops and training. Uh, uh, but they modified do a, a one month stint to acclimate to the Alberta provincial statutes, or if we become a, an independent nation, then you know the national laws of of Alberta, you know. Yeah. But then and then, like Danny said, don't send them out to, you know, a single man detachment or a four man detachment. Send them, you know, to a place that's busy, Red Deer City, Grand Prairie, you know, a large center, Fort McMurray. Yeah. You know, as opposed to where I went, Redwater, where after three weeks I was riding by myself, I was, you know, the only thing I had to rely on was the guy working high patrol. And if he was close, I could ask him questions. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, or get his. But yeah, it's Danny hit right in the head. Send him to a busy place where there's lots of lots of people, lots of members. So I'm I'm going to say by a show of hands, who is uh, in favor of actually having a provincial police force? And Dan, okay, I was going to say there's got to be someone that's going to say no, and I want to find out why. <laughs> You know, it's it's a complicated issue because it is uh, there's there's pros and cons. I mean, the, the biggest uh, con is that uh, the we've we've got a, a a police force already in place. You just need to kind of uh, shake shake them out a bit, and uh, and hopefully everything gets uh, straightened out. But I think it, I think the it, problem is is that they're a federal police agency, yes, and yeah. I think I think. Ottawa has their fingers in that pot. Yeah. And if, if you if you want to be less federal police or, or yeah. less federal government, you want to be less federal police. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's why all the major centers here have their own police agency. Yeah. Right. We don't we don't want to have that finger in in, in our pie all the time and to yeah. be able to keep um, keep Ottawa out of making all the decisions and every, the way we deal with people out here, I think yeah. you, you almost want to push back on that type of presence. That's my opinion, whether yeah. other people agree with, it, I'm not sure. No, that's right. If, if you have uh, a separate independent police force, it's run by Albert, Alberta's uh, government, or, or whoever, you know, the commissioner or the the chief of the Alberta police or the Lord High Admiral of the poop deck, I don't care what you call him, he answers to the premier and the council or whatever you want to call them, the committee for policing. Okay, then it, it flows down and you've got only one group to, to say this is what we would like done yeah. or this is what we would suggest you do. Not having provincial, federal, you know, and all this other stuff. Absolutely. Well, you could have it run by a police commission or a police board, like they, they did in yeah. Ottawa. They have a police board. We have a police commission. But the people on your police board or your police commission um, need to be, and we talk about the, the people at the top, they need to be bright. They need to absolutely understand what policing is all about and not cater to every single group out there that's calling for action and you can think up all the names of all the people who do that um you know they expect you to bow a knee here they expect you to do this they expect you to do that while we're actually policing um you know this is what we're meant to do and, and you're not catering to everybody you actually remember what your job is and it's actually to police alberta and that's the key is a lot of police agency have, have lost the um, idea that what they're actually doing is they're actually policing their city or their town or their province. Um, and they're acting um, beyond that of being the long arm of the government in many cases that we've seen in the last two, three years. Yeah. And that comes from the leadership that comes from the people who it's aspire to be um, 
in politics. And a lot of these people who are at the top of these police agencies, they want to do other things when they're done. And um, who, who do you please? You please the people that you want to become. And that's what they're doing. And you can see it. It's clear as day. Um, and just look at uh, the Calgary Police Service. Uh, I can guarantee when he's gone, he will be trying to get into politics. And he should be gone really soon because he, as of this year, he's got a 13% approval rating from within the CPS. Isn't that interesting that someone with that type of approval rating can actually be a chief of police of a major center? Yeah. Well, it goes with mayors and uh, prime ministers too. <laughs> yeah, it does. Again, the rubbers flow to the surface. Yes, yes it does, yeah. So uh, I'm just scrolling back through the questions. People are asking, when are you going to get to the questions? When are you going to get the questions? Well, we wanted to kind of finish up at least this portion and, and talk about you know how, how we could even do this uh, provincially. And again, there's a lot of logistics that we would actually need in order to get into this. But a question that does come up quite often is uh, how do we fit the Indigenous uh, population into this uh, into this police force. And again, I know nothing in terms of how the RCMP, uh, police, uh, the, uh, reservations or, uh, you know, the, anything like that, like, does anybody have any idea on how that works? Not really. Uh, other than I don't care who you are. Yeah. You want to become yeah. a policeman. Yeah. Fit the bill. Yeah. You can't have a grade six education, and because you are are uh, uh, a native, be allowed in. No, you got to have a minimum grade twelve education. You gotta, you know, you gotta fit the physical bill. You gotta fit, be able to write the exam, pass the exam, pass the physicals. That's the you way know, we don't show any favoritism. You're right. That's the way things used to be when you used to be hired specifically based on your merits. And now it's like, well, okay, let's see. Out of 12 people, I have to have four in this category, three in this category, one in this category. Like that is that is ridiculous yeah. when we're when we're looking at hiring. Well, I have yeah. worked Here I have worked tell with you every, yeah. I have worked with every um, race that you can imagine. And some of the best people I've worked with were not white. Um, some of them were, some yeah. of them weren't, but um they're there's a lot of um, Aboriginals that work on the reserve in the RCMP, yeah. or if they have their own police agency, they work there. But there's a lot of white people. There's a lot of uh, Asian people. I, I think that's where society has lost sight of actually, we're all actually human. It doesn't matter what we look like here, what color we are here. Hire the best people for the job. When you hire the best people for the job, you'll actually have a great outcome because these people though they might not all look the same they actually all think that we're going to do this job the same it doesn't matter what i look like doesn't matter where i go i can police yeah. whoever it doesn't matter um and that's where society has lost sight is they have pigeonholed um depending on what you look like what color your skin is what language you speak um yeah. If you're, if you're here as a refugee, they pigeonhole all these people and they want to actually cover bases for everybody. And um, that is wrong. 
And they, they try to say that, well, there's too many white guys in policing. Well, you know, like that has changed. That is not the way it is anymore. And we just want the right people. I don't care anything else, just the right people. Everything else doesn't matter. You can, you can be any gender, you, well, two genders. You can be any of those two genders um, or you can um, be any color, doesn't matter. Just actually pick the right people for the job. Yeah, I, I would uh, just like to add my one comment on that when people ask me about this specific issue is that when I was going to a high-risk call, I don't care if you're male, female, black, white, indigenous. I don't care. All I care about is that you're going to back me up when things are bad. Yeah. I just need to know that you're going to help protect me and I'm going to help protect you. Right. We, we could disagree on everything else, you know, political views, whatever, religious beliefs doesn't matter. Yeah. All I need to know is that when it's an emergency call and we're going to do something high risk, you got my back and I got yours. Yeah. And that's all that exactly. in my experience, that's all that cops matter or that's all that cops really care about is that you pull your own weight. Yeah. You take your share of the work and that I can count on you to pr help protect me when I need it. Like all the rest of it is just peripheral noise that's made into a big yeah. deal by the media and special interest groups. Yeah. I've worked with amazing women. I've worked with amazing men of different races. I can tell you right now, what the highest performing member I ever worked with is currently working on the Calgary RCMP emergency response team. And he's a native guy and I love them like a brother. And I, he, Hands down, he's the most skilled person I ever worked with. So, like, none of us care about that extra noise that you hear about nonstop in the media. All we care about is that you work hard and that I can count on you when I need you. That's it. So, I was just yeah, giving when that you're note. hired, you all had to check the bills. Yeah. I was just giving a note here that uh, you guys are working together to write up a plan for APP. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, that's true. Uh, actually, I put together a, a paper for APP already on okay. the different sections. And then Danny yeah. did some work on that. And uh, I submitted that as well. So we've okay. got a kind of got a bit of a, a thing going already here, but uh, we just got to find out what more that they want. Yeah, well, that's great. And again, the whole the idea behind APP is that we, uh, we, we basically educate Albertans and we also help maybe steer the current political process. And if there's an idea that we can have in terms of policing and we can hand it to the powers that be and they get adopted, then that's great. Right. More, yeah. more brain. We have, the better. To, yeah. We yeah. have to have the political yeah. will to do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to go back and, and look some of these, uh, some of these questions here. And I know some of them are a little, Little off topic, but I will actually ask those questions just because I think it's worth discussing. Because if if people are willing to ask the question, I think we at least have to be willing to uh, to possibly even ask or answer it. And maybe there is no answer, or maybe we just don't know the answer, and that's totally totally fine too. 
Um, so one of the, actually, there's been a series of questions and, and it's, uh, I'm not going to necessarily pussyfoot around it, but there, you know, there's, there's the talk of the dirty cops. There's the talk and there, and that's kind of the way, I guess, uh, things end up being there's, there's good cops, bad cops. Um, but there seems to be, um, more, uh, assaults from cops, uh, sexual assault, uh, assaults from cops, um, and and do you have any idea when that does happen? Why why is it quickly brushed under the the rug, as opposed to being um, able to be talked about? Is it just is it just easier for that to just be dismissed? I can't. Anybody see, wants, I, I, I can't totally say anything specific about it, but yeah. I would say those are the people you don't want to be on the police force, and you yes. do whatever you can to get rid of them. Um, yes, and. Um, wh whether it's sexual assault or, or assault or whatever it is, if you're committing crimes, boom. Um, yeah. And I'll just speak with CPS. Um, CPS has a, has a tendency to um, not sweep things under the carpet, but um, give second chances too much. And, I, and sexual assault, if we just speak about that, um, by itself, there's, there's, they're gone as, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. But uh, you know, if, if you're if you're driving intoxicated and you get pulled over and you get charged, you know what? You, that's really bad judgment. Uh, yeah. As a police officer, you're held to a different standard. Uh, you're held. Your standard is higher than yeah. than everybody else's, and that's just a fact. And that's the way you need to live your life. And if you've got a, a people like that on your service, um, they need to be gone. But CPS, um, they're so reluctant to get rid of people. And it's because of liability. They're so reluctant. But, oh, what if they sue us? What if they do this? Uh, blah, 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 blah. They've got all these scenarios wrapped up in their head. Let me tell you, you commit one crime, boom, you're gone, is what yeah. it should be. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, bad cops would be weeded out really quickly. And just speaking from a street cop, um, there were bad cops out there and you saw them. And hopefully people that saw that spoke up and, and they're gone. And a lot of them were. And that's the way it needs to be. Um, but um, it's all in the hiring practices as well, because a lot of people now get hired um, and the standard is lowered so low, the bar is so low that they hire people that would never have been hired when the three of us ever got hired, ever. They would have been gone. They wouldn't have even made it through the process. So uh, again, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, but we actually need to actually go back to the way things were maybe a little bit. Yeah. Not so much of um, pleasing every special interest group, but actually being policemen. And police women, yeah, actually um, sticking up for society, sticking up for the people, the the Canadians that need people to stand up for them. And I don't know if I answered that question, but I hope I did. They just need to be gone. Yeah, I agree. Fired, you can yeah, you hit you hit the nail on the head, Kerry, when you said hiring practices. Yeah. If you get back to the way we used to hire, I know in the RCMP when I got in, it was totally different than it is now well let me tell you yeah like it was 
it wasn't easy. It was tough. Um, nowadays, if you know, you're a certain gender and you have a disability and this and that, or you could be a different color, then oh, we can hire you. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's just wrong. It doesn't serve the people. It doesn't doesn't do me any favors uh, mm -hmm. for that person that's working with me. It doesn't do the person that we're going to their house to uh, break up a domestic. You know, it doesn't help them, you know. It, yeah. Like I say, you've got to have one standard for all. doesn't matter. Male, female, black, white, green, yellow, purple, I don't care. One yeah. standard. And then they go all, they, then they're all treated the same. Purple's an issue because that usually means they're choking. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to cut the tension there. So there you go. Well, well, um, well, yeah. I would just like to, uh, yes, 100% hiring, re again, recruiting and retaining high quality people and incentivizing them to, you know, uh, solid people to be to do street cop work because like brian said even and the mounties are notorious for that too right do your time on gd and get out of there yeah and uh, that's all because of the burnout and the constant expectation of do more 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 with less yeah so strong leadership good hiring practices yeah. however people often have spoken to me about like how you know this issue and how it's you know, cops just kind of protect each other. Yeah. And I don't, that is not my lived experience when it comes to something serious like corruption and sexual assault. In fact, like my time in the Mounties, it was the complete opposite of that. If, if you did anything that brought negative attention to the RCMP, they were going to sewer you in a heartbeat. Wow. If, if, if they thought it would serve their purpose. Like that's what the leadership of the RCMP is like in a lot of places right now. Yeah. Like it, it's not about circling the wagons and protecting their own at all. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a misconception. I, again, I think it's an issue that the media, um, I agree. Yeah. The media definitely makes it to be a much bigger issue than it is. Cause again, I think they're part of the defund the police yeah. Well, I mean, the, the the police have been the media's punching bag for a very long time, right? And sometimes it's warranted. Oftentimes it's not. The RCMP, as it is currently, has a real habit of punishing their officers for doing exactly what their officers were trained to do. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, with a, with a, with a sexual assault, like or, or something that is a serious crime like that, if the officer is is convicted like if they're proven guilty well obviously they need to be accountable just like any other citizen of canada right like the law is supposed to apply to everyone equally yeah. however i know of a specific instance in yukon while i was working there were two members were accused of such a thing their lives were absolutely ruined and in the end after two to maybe even close to three years the after the trial, it was evident that it was a malicious complaint made by the alleged victim. Yeah. And those officers, their lives and their credibility and their reputations were destroyed over yeah. a false accusation. Yeah. So I think the media definitely twists the narrative. And so I would caution everyone to always question what they believe from the media. 
yeah. always try and I always recommend try and get your information from as close to direct from the source as you can, because yeah. you cannot trust the mainstream media. They will twist everything to fit the narrative that they want their story to get clicks and to get views and to get ratings. Yeah. So that's my experience. My experience is that if I ended up in a shooting, even if it was completely lawful and completely justified, but it made the RCMP look bad, you better believe the RCMP was not going to protect me. They would throw me to the wolves if it served their purpose. That's how, that was my experience anyway. Yeah. Wow. And, and again, that, that's great to a point, um, but also you need a police agency that's going to stand up for its guys as well. And I'm, I'm not saying cover for them. I mean, stand up for them. And when you talk about frivolous complaints, um, I've had a few of those in my career. And the problem is, is they can say that I did something illegal and then it gets proved that I did do nothing such as that. But um, they entered into this complaint, but there's no repercussions for them. So I'm just trying to show the other side of it as a police officer. And it, ha it has happened to me that... Nothing happens to those people um, who actually present those false complaints against the police officer. Um, and that kind of lends myself into the, the next little I think I wanted to talk about is the way that society now has come down so heavy and hard on policemen. Um, and you can't, you can't almost do anything right ever. Doesn't matter what you do. You can run into the most dangerous situation somebody pulls a knife on you and slashes um, your shirt open and you, you actually end up having to take his life and shoot yeah. that person, you're still demonized as the worst thing in the world. Well, why are you? That person could have actually done that to your loved one. But we, as policemen and policewomen, have stood in the way of that. But I think society has lost sight of that for, for you know, a, a vast section of society, they've lost sight of actually what we do. And a lot of people don't understand really what policing is. It's a totally different world. And if I was to sum it up to people that have no idea what policing is, just think that we live in a different world. We, we actually protect you from that evil world that's out there as best we can. And a lot of people don't understand that and that's where that thin blue line came in that everyone's so up in arms about is we were, because our uniforms are usually dark blue is what it's predominantly been. We were that line between good and evil. And that's what we did as policemen and policewomen. We actually stood there protecting you from that other side of society that predominantly you don't see. Nowadays, you hear it all the time in the news but you don't live it. We lived it. Yeah. Um, so when frivolous complaints come up against policemen and nothing happens to those people that lied about you, that's a problem as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. A strong Absolutely. leader will hold their people accountable when they need to be held accountable yeah. and defend them when they need to be defended. And it's all about just being honest, right? Yeah, Tell the right. truth. Yeah. If, if your officers get into a, a shooting, but they did what they should have done, support them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, but it's people are, you know, the RCMP's way of dealing with stuff like that is they hide behind no comment 
until enough time passes that people kind of forget about the story, right? Whereas a strong leader, if you're confident that your officers did what they should have done, then you go in front of the camera, in my, in my opinion, you go in front of the camera and you'd say, yeah, there will be an independent investigation because there has to be transparency. Yeah. But I believe that my members did exactly what they've been trained to do. Yeah. You know, it could be that simple, that simple. Would be, and then that could end all of this constant speculation about, you know, whether it was justified or if there's a cover up. Because when you say no comment, it just seems like you're trying to yeah. hide something. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's so when you say states, sorry, that's why a lot of time in the states they release the body cam pretty quickly because yes. they want they want to fill in that other three minutes before that yeah. one uh, 10 second video that someone took on their tel telephone. That's right. And they want to yeah. fill in that and show you exactly what happened. And that's why they're trying to do that. But predominantly they don't do that in Canada. They don't they don't fill in that other side of the story that's missing for you to actually have all the information. I was going to ask. Media has been bought and paid for. Maybe you were asking about or saying about the uh, a strong leader. Do you believe that a strong leader should be uh, appointed, as I think most are now, or should they be elected? Well, I I think that there is a you could do kind of. A, I don't know if you call it a hybrid, but a quasi election process. And yeah, I think get it down to maybe the way, I mean, like in the RCMP, you have like, you write an exam, you have to meet a certain mark on this exam. Yeah. And then you write your, 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 your competency resume where you have to show different examples of where you meet all the competencies for the certain position. And then yeah. you go to a panel for review. And then that panel ultimately will probably make a recommendation to the line officer who's going to select the candidate. I don't think in theory that process sounds bad, but what I think, again, I think there should be more input from the people who have been supervised by that person and who are going to be supervised for that person. So if you're talking about the commissioner for the RCMP, for example, you know, ultimately right now, the way it is, the prime minister of the day selects and appoints the commissioner of the RCMP. I think maybe what you could something you could explore like if you had your own police forces you have a panel of like high-ranking officers or people that would kind of be the logical next group to be considered for the job yeah you know there would have to be some kind of validation process where they have to show that yeah i have the experience required to do this job and then i think where the you know the you know you'd have the government would probably have a vote on who they would select or maybe cabinet would vote on who they would select, you know, some kind of representation of the population. But then I also think that the membership of the police service should get a vote too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because they're the ones who are going to be the most directly impacted and influenced by who their next commissioner or police chief would be. Yeah. Maybe it wouldn't work, but that's just something that I would at least explore as an option. Any other comments for them? Yeah. As I'm looking through um, these other questions. <laughs> you, you look down in the States and, and some of the, the hierarchy or the commissioners of, of police agencies are actually elected, yeah. which maybe there's a point to that about keeping people honest. 
Um, and if they're not doing their job, you can recall them. Um, I don't know if we do that in Canada. I don't know if we can do that sort of thing in Canada where we elect a, a police commissioner. Or, but I think if, it, if it's a well-appointed person who um, is personally uh, holds value in what they do and can really see that what they're doing is leading a top-notch organization per se, and they're held th themselves above reproach to a lot of things, I think you'll get the right candidate that you want. And I can speak, um, I have one person in mind from just uh, in the Calgary Police Service of a person that would fit that bill and he hasn't made it any higher than a superintendent for the very reason that he continues to go out onto the street and shows up at calls. He's a superintendent, remember? He doesn't need to do any of this. But he, he goes to calls, on go his hatch gloves to any dirty fight at a bar. He's there at all the dirty domestics. And he gets chastised from the people above him for doing that. And he's the type of caliber of person that you're looking for that would actually lead an organization. And so whether they're elected, appointed, hired, um, to me, it doesn't matter. It all comes down to the right, the right person again. Yeah. Yeah, just like we were saying before, make yeah. sure that you have the right person in there. In there, yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's a question, and I'm I'm just going to paraphrase it, but the uh, what happened out in Ottawa um, with uh, the the police force and what they did in terms of the the horses and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, we all know what's going on with that. Um, do you think that there should be some sort of a public discipline to those particular officers? And um, the, the comment would, would be, uh, that would go a long way towards rebuilding public confidence. <clears throat> Probably would help, definitely. Um, yeah. I think some of the things that I saw, you know, um, I'd have taken those guys and I'd have kicked them right back to where they came from and said, okay, pack your bags. Yeah. But, you know, uh, it's so hard to say. The guys that are trained in riot troops and all that stuff, they've, they've got their training. They're told, okay, now this is what you got to do. You got to protect this. They're, you know, they're given their specific orders of what to do. And I don't know what was said. So I, yeah. it, it's hard for me to comment on anything yeah. that I didn't actually see. Some of the things I saw, like, wow, no way. Those Wait, guys should be publicly disciplined. Those guys, those guys were more soldiers, and they would kind of do what they told versus how we kind of started the conversation about if you're a police officer and you don't think that, that you needed to be involved uh, in terms of arresting or anything like that, that you can basically say no. So are they, are they do you think? Yeah, guys are looking after their career. Yeah. Yeah. I it's hard to there's we are in C. There's definitely uh, a level of force was used by some officers against some people that I didn't see any justification for. Yeah. Um I I I kind of expected them to like push the line back and take territory. And then, yeah. you know, once they had taken enough territory, remove trucks and just kind of systematically work through it that, that way. Sense. Yeah. That I think, I don't think anyone would have had a huge 
it wouldn't have elicited such a strong response and such a strong mistrust in the police. But it was it was the it was the violent arrests and yeah. the, and the horse trampling and and, and those issues that yeah. made people think like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening in Canada. Yeah. But again, like like Daryl mentioned, we don't know what they were told in those briefings, right? Like. I think there's some, there was some effort to kind of get at that during the public order inquiry, but I don't think we ever got any real satisfactory answers about, okay, what intelligence do you have to justify this level of aggression? That's right. Right. Because one instance I can tell you, like when I saw videos of ERT members smashing windows and vehicles, and then taking people out of vehicles at gunpoint. And okay, if someone's refusing to get out of a vehicle, you might break a window to extract that person to an effect an arrest. But mm-hmm. to take people out at gunpoint, that's typically reserved for a high risk arrest. Yeah. And typically in my experience, it's when you believe the person could be or is armed, right? Like you have to have some kind of intelligence to indicate that that person <clears throat> could be a threat to your life or to others. usually because they have a weapon that would justify like pointing a gun in someone's face. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but we don't know, we don't know what they were being briefed on. And I mean, it doesn't sound like when you heard the police witnesses testify at the inquiry, you never heard anyone say that, that there was any evidence that they were any real credible intelligence that, convoy protesters were armed or that they posed any real significant threat to national security. However, you had Jody Thompson, the national security advisor to the PMO or the Privy Council, who has no law enforcement or intelligence experience at all, Mm -hmm. making up her own intelligence unit because she wasn't satisfied with what she was receiving from the RCMP, OPP and CSIS, Mm -hmm. who are responsible for domestic intelligence yeah so who knows who knows what they were being told because i i'm i know what my old team those guys aren't mindless thugs right they're high performing members who really really care about being professionals and being masters at their craft right like we were very when we did other operations back when i was still working you know we always wanted to make sure that we were acting in a prof- highly professional manner. Be- well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, our reputation was at stake. Yeah. And we also wanted to, we wanted, we wanted other units to want to work with us. Yeah. Right. So that we would get more good operations out of it. And so they're not, they're not mindless thugs. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to believe like they must have been briefed on something that we are not privy to in order to have that kind of, to have that kind of response. But will we ever know? I doubt it. And likewise, it, it could be totally untrue. It could be called out by someone in authority and said, this is what we know. And we'll, like you said, we'll never find out, but that's what they've been told. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, as, a, as a former tactical guy, yeah. when I got my intel briefing before doing an operation, I didn't go up to the intel unit and say, show me the details on this, yeah. right? Yeah. You, like you, you put faith in them that they're giving you accurate information. That's right. Yeah. Just like the CBC. 
<laughs> well, the CBC is not uh, <laughs> uh, an accurate source of intelligence. Uh, unfortunately, it appears that the, the uh, police and government were using them as such. It, I would, yeah, that's exactly what I was alluding to, too, because that's where it seemed to come from. And uh, we just ran into that again with uh, another uh, thing with the NDP and what Notley was saying about uh, uh, Premier Smith. And that's a totally different topic. We won't go there. But um, yeah, there. I guess there's just a couple more other questions where people have asked about, um, you know, and then more of a statement too, and with what's happened with uh, with the the convoy and the RCP, the way that they acted, and whoever else was involved, whether it was soldiers brought in from wherever, and uh, and of course, this was not. Yeah. Okay. It was not. I can confirm that right now. All right, okay. The guys that were okay. in green, that we're talking about the big, were big green guys and the olive gray, or all of um, um, big tactical gear. They they weren't called yep. in from the UN. Okay. No. Okay. They were SQ in the green, big green coveralls, the Sûreté de Québec, Quebec Provincial Police. Yeah. Like the guys with the batons and like the riot gear, and then the guys that were in like the tan or green tactical gear, like with the in the background that looked like soldiers yeah that was either rcmp ERT or opp true oh, okay yeah. and would they have been from that area or would they have been brought in from anywhere in canada uh, could have been from anywhere in canada anywhere in canada okay yeah um and so with that and with what happened in coots uh it certainly seems to have caused fear in a lot of people and that's kind of what we were talking to initially was how do we how do we combat that? How do we fix this this ongoing problem of um, uh, of making you know the, the the cops should be the good guys, right? And they were the good guys when I was growing up, and probably when you guys were growing up as well. And it just seems to have uh, fallen down. And then you get instances like this uh, with uh, with the convoy and uh, and with coots, and now all of a sudden we we don't have the same trust in them. Is it more, can we, can, can we get media involved and, and say, you know, this, this is the, the police officers are good people. Can we get them to, uh, to go out and do community service and go walk the beat and maybe uh, uh, show up at certain events? Like, I don't know. I don't know what the magic answer is. And, and I, I think they, the police agencies yeah. attempt to do that. They have, they have a, they have, parts of them that actually go out to community events, they'd have all that. The problem with what has happened to policing and why so many Canadians uh, don't respect police officers like they used to um, is kind of several things. Um, society has demonized policemen through a lot of things that have happened, especially down in the States. You get the defund the police, the BLMs, all that that have really put... Um, a bad light on policemen, um, hiring practices where you you don't get the best policemen that you, they used to have, and then acting like um, the long arm of the government, taking more um, of what the government wants you to do as opposed to actually being the policeman for the people. And th that has actually raised itself to the point where um, now I think there's a lot of policemen that are kind of disillusioned with their job as well. Um, I know I have a lot of friends within the Calgary Police Service still, and a lot of them go, man, as soon as my time's up, I'm out. And the reason is, is you're scrutinized so highly, um, not only by your agency, but by people um, in general, 
that it doesn't make it a very fun career. When you think about it, you're always looking over your shoulder. You're always wondering if this person's going to put a, a frivolous complaint on you, or mm -hmm. you're going to be asked to do something um, that you don't want to do. And I know a lot of police officers, and I'll, again, I'll speak just from, from the Calgary Police Service, did, want, did not want to partake in any of the COVID stuff, nothing. Uh, they didn't want to write any tickets. They didn't want to do uh, any enforcement of any kind, and they didn't. But then there's always those people, the yes men that have been hired lately, that will follow those orders. And that's never been great in society when you're just following an order. They hired policemen to be thinkers. They hired policemen to actually be able to think through those difficult situations, come up with great um, um, decisions. And I think that's what's lacking is a lot of those people um, aren't being hired anymore. Um, a couple of other questions here. Um, if we have a provincial police force, will the same tactics be possible uh, as to what happened in Ottawa and Coots? I think you need to be more specific about yeah, what tactics they mean. Yeah, because, because I'm there, there is a time and place where the police have to act and they have to use force, right? Yeah. Like, was it appropriate in Ottawa? not in every instance for Without sure. Point, like there was point. definitely, there was definitely arrests that I don't believe um, that were made that were not necessary and a level of force that was used against some that was not necessary on the coots issue. I don't know enough about it to give you a real solid yeah. Yeah. opinion, but the guys that are still in custody from Coots, they're charged, they're, they're accused of some serious offenses, right? Yeah. And I know I've heard lots of people say, I've heard lots of people t say to me directly, oh, they're, they're totally innocent. And I'm, and I said, well, I don't know that. How do you know that? And no one has given me any real yeah. credible answer to prove their innocence. And I said, well, you, you know, you, you can't I really think. make that statement until the evidence comes out and it's publicly available to scrutinize. Yeah. But, I think but what I do know is that, you know, there are groups that exist in Canada and all over the United States that do deliberately try to look for opportunities to harm police officers. Mm -hmm. I knew that before COVID was a thing. I had received debriefings on groups like that from Alberta that had, you know, they, they had weapons and they had, you know, uh, training sessions. And so those groups do exist. So I, I don't know. I don't think people should automatically assume that it was a setup because that is an extremely high risk thing for a police agency to, to be involved in. You know, like um, I've never seen anything in my career to suggest that the RCMP would go to the lengths of setting people up for that kind of offense. Because if they were to be found out, it would absolutely destroy all credibility of the force. Right. I so think I think you, don't you assume head, until you know the whole story is yeah. what I would say about that. Yeah. 
Well, from what I know about the families, and I'm, I'm just going to say, uh, okay, go ahead, Daryl. Uh, everything aside, it's yeah. I don't think the big question is guilty or innocent no, at this not. time because there hasn't been a trial. The evidence That's hasn't right. been hasn't been presented. They're being held in custody far too long. Without, they should have been processed out. They should have been given their bail or, or whatever, because yeah. I, I personally know people have committed heinous crimes. They're out on the street within 24 hours. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that just doesn't fly. That's wrong. This yeah. is, again, politically motivated. Yeah. And we'll wait to see whether they're guilty yeah. or innocent at trial. And it'll probably ruin them only because of how much it's going to cost for them to go through trial. Right. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and really all I was going to say is knowing the families that I've talked to there, um, you know, whether or not they're innocent or not, again, the whole idea is that they should be released on some sort of bail. And it shouldn't be politically motivated that they're they're still held behind bars because someone said something at some time. Um, there's probably been other things that have been said that have been worse. And um, yeah, I guess that's all I'm going to say on that matter. But uh, it's uh, it's a shame that we even have to have these sorts of discussions here in Canada when we're supposed to be you know a free country and so amazingly whatever. And then. Uh, so to bring it back to APP, well, the reason that we do these APP webinars is basically to to talk about topics that are that are hot topics in terms of what would we do if we were our own sovereign nation, independence, uh, or even get a better deal within Canada, and uh, and and you know talking about the Alberta police force and how we that would possibly be done is just. Uh, a few things that need to be done, even in terms of taxation and in terms of, uh, uh, you know, just how things, how life would be better. How would our energy sector work if we were, we were just on our own. So it's just one part. And uh, um, is, if there's anything else you guys want to kind of wrap up with in terms of uh, what you, what do you think in terms of uh, a police force in, in Alberta or like anything that we may have not touched on. Because we've talked, we've touched on a lot of stuff. <laughs> I, I think we've we've pretty much covered the, yeah, you know the whole yeah. gambit there, right from, uh, you know, political prisoners to recruiting. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. I personally think a provincial police force is warranted. I think it's something we should we should have. Yeah, I fully so believe I, in it. I think one other thing that I would be looking to address if, if, if I were like, if you're the premier of Alberta and you want a, a provincial police force or Alberta decides as a population to go with a provincial police is just communicate clearly, right? Honest, open communication and clear expectations Yeah, because like, Brian and Daryl and I, we've all mentioned like this, the expectation that you're going to do more and more with less. That's what leads to burnout. That's what leads to the high attrition rates. 
and the need to get more and more people. And then maybe that snowballs into, well, you need so many people that you can't select only the best quality people. You know, you need to have clear priorities for your police service. These are our identified priorities. And, you know, you have to have like your two or three main ones because, you know, if you got 10 of them, well, it's just too much. You don't, you're not going to have the resources to do it all. But then that expectation has to be communicated, not just to the police, but to the public. And then the police have to be, your police leadership has to be willing to speak openly and honestly to the government and to the public and say, look, this is what we're, this is what we can focus on to be sustainable. If we try and do, if we try and like, like uh, I think Brian mentioned, if we try and promise the world to every single person that demands action, the wheels come off and everything just falls apart and nothing is done well. And that was my experience when I was working contract policing up in the Yukon, right? No one was willing to tell the government, the territorial government at the time and the, and like the, the people of Yukon that we don't have the manpower to sustain the service that you are demanding of us, right? Like we can focus, like focus on the big stuff. Some stuff is not going to be able to be addressed. We can't run around chasing every single demand because it's just when you don't have enough people, it just leads to nothing but burnout. And then everything starts to fall apart when the members are all, when the police are severely burnt out all the time. And with that, we're almost at two hours. So I'd like to thank you guys. You guys have been amazing. Uh, Daryl, Danny, Brian, thank you again for, uh, for even offering to, to come on. I know it's two hours out of your life, but I, I'm, you know, everybody that watches and listens, uh, they certainly appreciate any time that we do something like this. And so thanks. Thank you very much again. Um, we do this, uh, we do these uh, APP webinars every Wednesday and uh with new speakers and uh and of course new information and uh we we do have the next uh two or three wednesdays book but we're all always looking for new topics as well so if you have any topics that you would like to uh to uh submit please go to uh the alberta prosperity website and submit those uh i'd also like to acknowledge our volunteers which are our greatest commodity uh in app and without volunteers uh, we wouldn't be able to do this. And of course, we even have a couple of volunteers working backstage, uh, kind of organizing all this. So thank you so much. Um, and uh, and with that, I think uh, I'll just wrap it up and wish you guys again. Thank you so much for coming out. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at an online or an ideally an in-person APP event. I know I, I really enjoy the... Uh, the in-person ones because it's not just what you see on the screen it's actually talking to people before and after and uh, and usually there's coffee and cookies involved too so that's uh, that that helps me too so but with that thank you so much guys and uh maybe we'll we'll do this again and uh in a couple of months or something and, and see how much closer we are to actually being able to do this All right. All right.